Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be, however you might be listening, welcome to episode 92 of What's Up Tuscany, the only English language podcast made by real Tuscans and dedicated to anyone around the world that has a special place in his heart for this amazing land of ours. Every Friday we try to do our best to kickstart your weekend the right way by telling you the stories of the people and places that make Tuscany so unique. If you love Italy, its art, culture, history and food, follow us on your favorite podcasting app, we have a world of stories to tell you. After delving deep into a lesser known page of the history of our homeland, time to go back to one of our favorite pastimes, the many quirky myths and legends that make every corner of our region incredibly interesting. Rather than traveling to some faraway hamlet or a hidden spot only locals know about, this time we'll just take a walk in the city center of the most famous of Tuscan cities, Florence. While its charm and beauty is famous all over the world, the city of the Duomo hides many secrets, even in places where millions of tourists walk every single day. It's very easy to miss these places, especially if your mind is already set on the next amazing landmark you've maybe dreamed of seeing your entire life. I've often told you that planning your visit carefully is probably not the best way to get the most out of your Tuscan experience. It might definitely be the most efficient, a great way to get more bang for your buck, so to speak, but you will miss a lot of extremely interesting stuff. Wandering aimlessly in the cobbled street of an ancient city might look like a stupid way to waste one of your precious vacation days, but that's the only way to get a feel of what the city is all about. If you run headlong from one item on your list to the other, you will miss an inordinate amount of charming corners and small places that have incredible stories to tell. That's where we come in, always ready to point you to some of these minor tales, the only ones that, in our very humble opinion, tell the real story of this land. This week we will present you with three of these urban legends that Fiorentini are rightfully proud of. They're mostly just folk tales, complete inventions that people came up with in order to explain stuff they didn't understand, but they're really fascinating. From the unexplainable whirlwind in a corner of a main square, to a strange presence up high on one of the city's oldest churches, to the story behind the odd name of a small alley, this is Hidden Florence, the one that most tourists will never know. This week, What's Up Tuscany brings you to the capital, a city that is a lot weirder than it looks. Plenty of interesting stuff as always, so please make sure to stick around until the end. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Our little trip into hidden Florence starts in the heart of the capital, the majestic square that hosts the city cathedral, the famous Duomo. If you get there any time of the year, chances are you will bump into several groups of tourists with their heads up high, looking at the splendid church, the architectural miracle that is Brunelleschi's cupola, or the many details of the Battistero. Very few of them know that there is a precise spot right in that very famous square where Fiorentini swear that there is always wind. It may not always be a storm wind, but even when there isn't a breath of air anywhere inside, if you stand there for a couple of minutes, you will get a refreshing gust. It's not difficult to find, 
just walk on the right side of the church until you reach the lateral door in front of Via dello Studio. A couple of steps and you will be in that very special spot. Quite obviously, there is a scientific reason for this phenomenon, something related to the way the buildings are built, the microclimate of this part of the city, but that's not what Fiorentini are interested about. They don't need climatologists to explain why this happened, they have their own explanation. If you ask them what this wind is called, they will answer with a very odd name, the Rifrullo del Diavolo, something like the Devil's Whirlwind. What you will perceive as wind is, in reality, the frustrated breath of a devil, still mad that he was fooled by a mortal centuries after the fact. The tale they will tell is short on details, but rich in color. Here it is. One fateful night, a devil was on the prowl in the city center of Florence, looking for souls to snatch away. No one knows if it was a particular night, or what was the reason behind this snatching spree. Maybe the inhabitant of hell was in a foul mood, maybe he had a bone to pick against the Fiorentini, who surely have a lot of sins to repent from. At night, there weren't many people around, but he walked the cobbled alleys, he noticed a plump priest strolling without a care in the world. The devil started following him, but it didn't take long for the holy man to notice the dark presence. Florence back then was not the safest city in the world, political murder was the national sport back at the time. Feeling for his life, the priest started walking faster and faster, but he couldn't shake the presence. Glancing back, instead of a hooded assassin, he realized in horror that it was the devil himself that followed him. Throwing caution to the wind, he started running down Via del Corso, then Via dello Studio, but the devil, with his long strides, was catching up to him with ease. As he found himself in front of the cathedral, he knew that he was doomed and he decided to play his cards right. He stopped to face the dark presence and tried to save his life with a clever ploy. Breathless, he feigned desperation and whispered some words to the devil. You won! I can't escape anymore but have mercy on my soul. Before you condemn me to eternal damnation, at least allow me to pray to my god one final time. The devil laughed heartily, mocking him. Your god won't save you this time. Pray to him as much as you want, but you are mine. The priest bowed to the devil and thanked him profusely as he walked inside the cathedral. The devil stayed outside, waiting patiently for the man to finish praying. He waited and waited, more and more frustrated, huffing and puffing. The priest had absolutely no intention to get back to him, he had sneaked away from the opposite door, the Porta della Mandorla, and had already vanished in the tiny alleys. When the devil realized he had been taken for a fool, his huffing became furious, turning into a veritable storm. His rage was so massive that it left an indelible mark on the place that from that day will never be perfectly still. Believe it or not, if you're in downtown Florence and you're desperately trying to get some relief from the heat, get to that spot in front of the Duomo. While you're enjoying the devil's breath, say thanks to the clever priest. It took a lot of gods to play the master of deceptions that way. Kudos to him. Our second stop in our little tour in the minor mysteries of this very fascinating city brings you to Via de Cerretani, the north side of the ancient Florencia, the Roman town that is still the heart of the Tuscan metropolis. At the corner with Via de Rondinelli, you can see the bell tower of Santa Maria Maggiore, one of the most ancient churches of Florence. The bell tower is very old, as you can notice from it being very different from the other buildings in the area, but what makes it noticeable is a very weird presence, up high, in the middle of a wall. If you raise your head, you might notice something strange sticking out from the anonymous brick wall. 
the head of a statue, put there for some unexplainable reason. People have been wondering why the head is in that precise spot for centuries and have come up with all sorts of strange explanations. The head is that of a mature woman, veiled, with her gaze looking far into the distance. Historians say that there is nothing special about this head, it's just a fragment of a statue from the late Roman Empire, broken for some unspecified reason that was lying around the building site. As it happened so frequently at the time, respect for Roman antiquities was at an all-time low. Masons only thought it looked pretty and incorporated it into the war for no particular reason. Now, we may all agree that this very reasonable explanation isn't particularly appealing, which is why Florentines completely disregarded it and came up with something more interesting. People in the neighborhood say that the marble face is that of a greengrocer that, after saving money for all her life before going to meet her maker, decided to use those savings to commission a brand new bell for their local church. People were so thankful for her gift that they lobbied to have her face forever present on the bell tower. Considering how hellishly expensive was a bronze bell in the Middle Ages, it's quite unlikely that this really happened. What interests us is another far darker explanation, one that involves dark magic, public execution and a rather questionable character. Before telling you the story of La Berta, the nickname that Fiorentini have for the marble head, we will talk about this fella, a historical figure that came to meet a fiery end literally around the corner. Francesco di Simeone Stabili, known as Cecco d'Ascoli, was born in 1269 in the Marches city from a rather wealthy family. He was passionate about knowledge, so much that for all his life he studied to become a university professor. While he was teaching medicine in Bologna in the year 1324, his curiosity for the less mainstream sciences caused him a world of problems. After expressing unorthodox views on the church, he was forced to resign from his position at the historic university. His students loved so much his lessons on medicine and astrology that they lobbied hard to have him reinstated the following semester. The controversy made him famous enough to be hired by the son of the King of Naples, Robert of Anjou, as court physician. In Naples he had all sorts of honours, but his fortune changed suddenly after a particularly dark prophecy on the daughter of Charles. When asked about the future of John, Chekhov didn't hold back. Her life would be ruled by bouts of inordinate lust and proved to be disastrous. The son of the king banished him immediately from court, asking the Holy Inquisition to take care of this outrageous insult on his family. In fact, Cecco d'Ascoli was perfectly right. John the Mad became Queen of Naples, was well known for her insatiable lust, had four husbands, ended up being excommunicated by the Pope and was found dead in her bedroom, strangled by one of her many lovers. After slighting such a powerful patron, retribution was swift and merciless. The Archbishop of Cosenza led the Inquisition on the scholar, taking particular offence on his astrology studies, where he tried to calculate the exact time and hour of the birth and death of Jesus Christ. What was even less palatable was the studies that he carried to figure out when the Antichrist would come into existence. Astrology was tolerated by the Church, as so many people believed it, but to imply that the actions of the Son of God were guided by the stars was blasphemous. The trial was held in Florence and Cecco d'Ascoli didn't put up much of a defense. Whenever he was asked something, he replied bluntly, 
I've said it, I've taught it and I believe it true. His stoic countenance did him absolutely no good. He was found guilty and condemned to be burned at the stake. In the 14th century, being right could cost you a gruesome death, apparently. September the 16th, 1327. People gathered from all the quartieri in Florence to follow the procession that led an infamous character to the stake, a particularly gruesome and entertaining spectacle that no one there wanted to miss. The road to Piazza Santa Croce were packed to see with their eyes the famous alchemist meet his doom. People that wanted to get a better view were on the windows or on the balconies. Some were bold enough to climb up the bell tower of Santa Maria Maggiore, including a common woman well known in the neighborhood for her bluntness. No one knows her real name, everybody just called her La Berta. She wasn't particularly pleasant, she had something bad to say about everyone and people didn't really just like her. It was a particularly warm September and even in the morning the head was unbearable. Cecodascoli, constrained tightly on the chariot, was desperate for some water. Berta heard this pleas and started protesting loudly to the guards. Don't give me anything! He's a magician, he can turn water into anything, he will use it to make some sorcery on us all! When a pleas proved to be ineffective, Berta came up with something more pithy. If he drinks, he won't light up properly. Cecco was outraged by the meanness of the commoner and lashed back at her. Your head will never leave that spot. Berta stopped laughing for a second as she realized that the astrologer had indeed sent her way a very powerful curse. Her flesh started to lose color, becoming hard as stone, petrifying both her and whoever had been laughing at her cheap shot. No one said another word. The soldiers gave Cecco some water and the execution was carried out in the most complete silence. No one forgot about Berta, her face forever frozen in an empty stare, cursed by those careless slurs that she uttered against the powerless man. It's just a story, I know, but I've always liked this little tale. It speaks volumes on one of the least palatable aspects of the Tuscan character. If you happen to be around there, say hello to Berta. Some attention will make her eternal penance a bit more bearable. We end up our little tour into the odd mysteries of the Tuscan capital in one of the many roads in our region with particularly weird names. One of the many little alleyways in the historic center of Florence is named Via della Mosca, as in Fly Street. Not fly as in particularly cool, stylish, but fly, the annoying insect. People in the area think that this quirky name comes from the sign of an ancient tavern sometime in the 1600s. Before then, it was known as Via de Bagnesi, after the houses uh, and the tower that the rich family owned in this part of town. In the 1500s, it was named after the Soldani family, which still owns a palatial home at the corner with Via de Neri. There is nothing particularly remarkable about this short stretch of a road, aside from the fact that it comes with an ominous reputation and a whole bunch of folktales that talk about dark presences that would make themselves manifest at night. How did these tales? came into existence? But in Tuscany, there must be an origin story. Again, a wonderful region doesn't disappoint. There is indeed a legend behind both the name and the folktales, and it is a really good one. As it happens with many fairy tales, the star of this story is a young and beautiful girl, sweet, kind-hearted and ready to help everyone. Her family was quite rich and had some people to help around their vast house. One of these housemaids was, in reality, a witch. She didn't go around with a pointy hat and riding a broomstick, she was a normal witch, with a normal family and a normal daughter. 
The girl was just as beautiful as the rich one, but came with a rather sizable red flag. A fiery character, a definite disdain for other humans, and a fair amount of jealousy. These rather unpleasant traits were quite noticeable, which explains why she didn't have a lot of suitors. The good girl, instead, was quite sought after. One fateful day, one of the beautiful knights that came to visit her parents noticed her. Lightning struck the couple, and nothing seemed to be able to jeopardize their impending bliss. The fact that her own beautiful daughter had been sidelined made the witch mad with jealousy, enough to use her devilish ways to concoct that dastardly revenge plan. She sold the ingredients and blew a magic potion powerful enough to knock the living daylights out of the good girl. Once she had her stunned, she would have used a magic brush to turn the beautiful maiden into a fly. Anxious to end the humiliation on her progeny, the witch didn't read the instruction properly. In order for the incantation to be 100% effective, the skin of the victim should have been cut, enough to have some of her blood touch the teeth of the magic brush. The witch realized immediately that things hadn't gone according to plan. Instead of turning into a regular black fly, the good girl was transformed into a splendid golden fly, an insect that was not only beautiful, but also capable from time to time to speak in a language humans could understand. This was how the plan of the witch turned into disaster. Both the girl's parents and her fiancé noticed immediately the golden fly and how it never wanted to leave their sight. In a bit of time, they also understood her faint words and knew how the housemaid had schemed to cause her so much misery. The retribution was swift and particularly cruel. The witch was apprehended, tied to a table, and tortured mercilessly until she was forced to reveal how to reverse the incantation. Once the girl turned back to her human form, the family thought that the best way to punish the witch was to have both her and her daughter taste their own medicine. The magic brush was used properly on them, turning them both forever into lonely flies. A side effect of the incantation was that these flies would live forever, which explains why, from time to time, strange things happen in Via della Mosca. According to people in the area, that's the fault of the two witches who still wander around here, mad as hell for having succumbed to their own devious plan. They're not particularly dangerous. As flies, there is only so much that they can do, but occasionally they find a way to cause some mischief to anyone that wanders there at night. If you get there in the evening, keep your ears open, you might be able to hear their voice, the buzzing rage of two jealous creatures forced to live until the end of time the consequences of their half-cocked revenge plan. It's just a folktale, obviously. No one really thinks that any of the flies or mosquitoes that bothered people in this anonymous road have anything special about them. But the tale says a lot about this gem of a city and the region that hosts it. Florence and Tuscany may seem too beautiful to be true, as charming and resplendent as the August sun. Those that take the time to look behind the obvious will soon realize that there is also a dark side. Every rose has its thorn, even one as fragrant and stunning as Florence. These dark spots, as far as I'm concerned, only make it much more real and ultimately even more beautiful. That was all for this week, we really hope that you like our little escapade into the darker side of this amazing capital of Tuscany. Florence has so many other curious tales and corners that would definitely deserve your attention. If you're interested in hearing these stories, please let us know and we will be very happy to oblige. 
it's exceedingly easy to get in touch with us, either follow us on social media or send us an email. The address is podcast at larno.it, podcast at larno.it. Maybe not immediately, but we answer to everyone, that's a promise. I'm still your friendly neighborhood host, Luca Bocci. If you wish so, I will see you next Friday for another episode of What's Up Tuscany, the only English language podcast made by real Tuscans and dedicated to anyone around the world that loves our splendid homeland. Thanks for getting to the end of the episode. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.